Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Netflix Roulette. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me this evening, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am not a bride without a head or a wolf without a foot or a cat without a collar. Um, <laughs> in honor of this movie, I do have a, I do have a glass of whiskey. There you go. That's uh, some good folly work. <laughs> 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 it's yeah, wonderful. No, I'm, I'm interested to talk about this because I actually saw this when it came out and obviously neither of you did because you were not born at the time. So. No, I was subjected to this in childhood by my mother and hated it. And I realized it's not the right movie to show like a seven to ten year old. It's just like it's not going to track that well. It was better in, in adulthood. Uh, David Luzader, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm sweating into this bread. I'm bleeding into this bread. It's just all about this bread and and the opera. I got and two the opera. Two things that are most important to him. Uh, it's because we watched uh, Moonstruck, the 1987 share Nick Cage vehicle. Now, Netflix Roulette is where we spin a wheel on a website that spits out a random movie on Netflix. We have, however, expanded Netflix Roulette to include Amazon Prime videos that are free to stream with your Amazon Prime subscription, not the ones you can rent. Uh, the reason we've done that is because we don't want to broaden that pool too much. We won't add things like Hulu or things that not everyone really has, but it seems like Amazon Prime Video, because everyone uses it for all sorts of different things with their Amazon subscription, has become pretty ubiquitous alongside Netflix. So we felt comfortable adding it, which also broadens the pool. And also we've noticed that Amazon Video tends to house some older films. In fact, I think this already is the oldest film we've gotten on Netflix Roulette. We usually get B-movies from 2013. So it broadens the pool a little bit. And when we spin that wheel, it'll spit out from one from one or the other. It's not as if we're picking Netflix or Amazon that week. So this is on Amazon free to stream as of May 7th when we're recording this, uh, 1987's Moonstruck. However, before we talk about it, I want to give Nicole an opportunity to present next week's movie, a future classic pick. So something that has come out in the last 10 years that Nicole is going to argue for as a classic next week. Yeah, I looked at my list and I've got several films from 2010 and a couple from 2011. And I'm just like, I should pick an older one. And you know what? I don't care anymore. You know, if you, <laughs> if you guys want stuff that, that's from then, you go for it. Um, this one has been knocking around in my head the last like few times I've done future classic picks. And uh, it has risen to the top as being the most obvious to me of what's going to be a future classic and there's not going to be a question about it and mm. it is under the skin from 2013 you can hear my mechanical keyboard clacking away here under the okay. skin that all okay. right that is a bold statement right out the gate given, <laughs> all right that's it's gonna be interesting place it was scarlett johansson okay it does she play anybody of color uh, no <laughs> we're good all well, right just checking for people of color <laughs> yeah yeah we shouldn't really if we if we talk even a little bit about this plot it'll it'll get crazy i just gotta check with her you gosh you never know all righty uh, <laughs> uh under the skin check it out next week it looks like it's available to rent from a wide variety of platforms and it looks and, like it's on netflix yep so very easy to get a hold of. And so is Moonstruck, if you have Amazon. A widowed bookkeeper, Loretta Castorini, tired of being single and her bad luck with men, agrees to marry the safe but bland uh, Johnny Camereri. 
<laughs> and do everything right this time. Johnny then flies to Sicily to see his dying mother, asking Loretta to call his brother Ronnie to invite them to their wedding and heal the five-year rift in their relationship. When Loretta meets Johnny, or Ronnie, Johnny and Ronnie, why would you do that as a parent? When Loretta meets Ronnie, the title pole between them threatens to undo all of Loretta's good intentions. Uh, Nicole, you saw this when it came out. David, have you ever seen it before now? No, I hadn't even. I mean, I've probably heard of it. You know, the title's probably come up. But if you had told me a couple of weeks ago, like, have you ever seen that movie that Cher and Nick Cage were in together? Like, I would think you were lying to me to see if I would go along with it, not to seem like an idiot. Uh, so no, I had never seen, nor to my knowledge, had heard of this film. I saw this film a bunch growing up because my mom likes this movie a lot. So I know she owns a copy of it somewhere at home and uh, she'd put it on and I hated it. I absolutely hated it because it was so incredibly boring for a kid <laughs> because it's, it's, it's one of those romantic comedies where the comedy is more a comedy of like quirky circumstance than it is jokes. And that combined with me as a child not understanding why a bunch of Italian family members are yelling at one another just <laughs> didn't click. So revisiting this uh, as an adult, totally different different viewpoint. <laughs> and uh, I actually enjoyed it a, a fair bit. Uh, this is an interesting film. Now, Nick Cage... Uh, actually no let's back up a little bit i was gonna say the movie takes the movie takes like 20 minutes to get to nick yeah yeah, we should give it a little bit of breathing room let's give it a little bit of breathing room before we descend into that madness uh so share let's actually talk about share first share had this explosive career at the end of the 80s resurfacing again as a solo artist in music and then simultaneously for three or four years being a really hot commodity in film before tapering off of the film. Um, she had a medical issue and all that kind of tapered away from her never really acting significantly ever again. Uh, she won an Oscar for this. And it it's one of those things where a pop artist is usually a bad actor, but we indulge them in it because they're pop artists. And she's shockingly good in this. Like, I really do think so. What do you guys think of Cher's performance? No, I think she's she's excellent in this. And she was actually a, a pretty good actress out of the gate from when she first tried. Um, she was in this little Altman movie called Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, uh, which was based on a play. And she was in Silkwood, where that was only her second movie. And she got um, awards attention for that. Um, you know, and she was in Mask. And then Moonstruck came along and this, everybody was like, whoa, hey, she can act. She can be funny. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, it's a, I mean, they, they noticed that she could act before, but they're like, she, she can really be the lead in the movie and pull, uh, you know, her charm can be the main propellant for a film, you know, and her ability to, to handle this script, which is not a, a difficult script, but it's, you have to be able to deliver the insights that it's got. The script could be flat if delivered Mm -hmm. by worse actors or in another way. Um, But yeah, I think she does really well here. Yeah. I, I would agree that I think overall share does a good job. Um, I do want to say real quick, that this movie was written by somebody who asked the question, do you believe in life after love? Okay, got that out of the way. <laughs> now I can move on. Uh, I, I actually, when this movie started, I was kind of impressed. I was like, oh, Cher is allowing, uh, like, allowing herself to play this, uh, like a, a woman who's a little bit older, you know, like she starts off with like, with gray hair and, you know, she's a little bit like run down playing the the widow and a lot of cardigans, uh, a lot of cardigans. And then of course, you know, about halfway <laughs> Yeah, about halfway through the movie, she you know dyes her hair and it gets suddenly four times bigger, and she's wearing a, a <laughs> hot dress, and you know it's the share we all know and love. Uh, but overall, I thought you know she did a good. Did a, I haven't seen a lot of movies from 1987, so I can't say was this the best performance in 1987. But the Academy seemed to think it was. So there you go. Yeah, and she opens this movie being uh, engaged or getting engaged to uh, Johnny 
the, the character of Johnny played by one of the best it, scenes in the movie, one of the best scenes in the movie. And there's, and I've read the, the trivia of the scene afterward, having noticed it in the scene where you can hear a little bit of laughing in the background. And that's because when he gets on his knees, he gets on both knees at once, which, so he just kind of scoots toward her right. and yes. he ducks down for a second because he himself is laughing. So he wants to use the table as cover and you can hear the crew laughing at him in the scene and they just kept it because it's such a perfectly executed scene where she is holding his hand through this forced uh, marriage proposal that <laughs> just doesn't have any luster to it, but well, yeah, you can he, tell he's, he's kind of trying. Right. Yeah. He, I mean, he, it's his idea to ask her, but then according to her, she, he's doing it all wrong. So she starts being like, no, no, you have to do, you have to do this. You have to get on your knees and you have to, well, he is doing it all wrong. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm not across from her at the table saying, will you marry me and not holding a ring out or anything? You know, right. but it's pretty traditional. You get on one knee, you hold up a ring. But then even when he's like trying to do it right, you know, like he does, like he gets on, he gets on two knees and he, uh, his, he doesn't yeah. have a ring. So he has a, his pinky ring, right. a man wearing a pinky ring yeah. in the, yeah. The late 80s. It also Italian. It seems <laughs> enigmatic too of there's a lot of scenes in this movie where uh, there's there, in my opinion the women carry this film, particularly Cher and uh, her mother Rose in the film played by Olympia Dukakis uh are the strongest performances in the movie and their characters to me are the most interesting and they're catalysts for all the interesting things happening in the movie, all while everyone around them is always kind of talking down to them. Like there's a lot of man knows best in this household in this movie. And I don't know how much of that is 1980s, you know, Sicily, Sicilian American culture, but there's a lot, there's even a scene where her father in the film who is cheating on her, on her mother is with his, uh, the woman he's having an affair with and talking down to her about like, oh yeah, I'm a plumber and they didn't know what was good for them in this household. The woman had no idea what was going on, but the man knew what was going on in that household. And she like, was, like delighted at this, like as he's like so powerful and strong. And that dynamic yeah. seems to exist through a lot of characters in this movie. And to a degree, Johnny and Cher as well. Like he's not really taking in the consideration in this proposal what she wants what she cares about how she'd want it done not none of that yeah yeah that, that that scene you're talking about when he's describing um the you know he he talks to this couple who need new plumbing in their house and we see the way that he uh figures it out is like he's like looks at the pipes and he kind of scrapes it with his knife a little bit and then he tells them a price, not like 10,000. He doesn't say $10,000. He says 10,800. It's a very specific price. And I love that scene later when he's talking to, uh, he's talking to his, his mistress. It's like, well, the woman, you know, she didn't quite get it. And it's like, okay, so the woman was seeing kind of through your whole shtick is what you're saying. The woman mm -hmm. was on to you. And right. uh, you had to trick the man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Am I reading into that right, though? Like, do you guys think that there's a lot of that in this movie? It does seem like there is a lot of, like, very patriarchal families of you listen to father slash husband and that it's that way or the highway. That's kind of the vibe I get at times in the movie. I mean, they they were coming out of that in the 80s, mm -hmm. but the, her parents were old enough that that would have still held on a little bit. But I think... To me, it's clear that, you know, Rose has been has been married to Cosmo for so long that she doesn't put up with any of his crap mm -hmm. anymore and and his spiels and she sees straight through him. You know, they're past the the phase where she's indulgent with him. Right. Um, sure. And sure. he misses that. He misses being indulged. He misses being seen as, you know, a little smarter and uh more important and i think that's why he's having the affair with the mistress yeah there's a great line that uh rose has towards the beginning of the movie when Cher is telling her you know i'm, I'm engaged she's like do you love him no do you like him yes oh that's good because it's the ones you no, love just, that he says and she says good when you love them they drive you crazy because yes, they know yes. they can yes yes <laughs> that whole line is it, it's just so great and like tells you everything about that marriage that you need to know 
right off the bat that she is still very much in love with Cosmo, but Cosmo also drives her insane. Yes. Right. And Cosmo played by Vincent uh, Gardenia, who was also nominated for an Oscar for this film, uh, didn't win, but was nominated as well. Uh, And he's wonderful in it too. But I want to go back briefly to Johnny because I really love and gosh, I'm going to butcher his last name here. Is it Danny Aiello or how do you pronounce it? Aiello. Aiello. Mm -hmm. So I've always really loved him as for his performance, primarily as Sal and do the right thing. It's, it's really a beautifully acted character. Beautifully is not the right word, uh, but like uh, a dynamic, interesting character. One, one in cinema, I'll never forget uh, along with so many other characters in that particular movie. But in this movie, uh, what a, what a performance where from, from that engagement scene to the moment he calls Cher from Sicily, uh, Loretta and, my mother is dying. Uh, she's on a deathbed. I call for my mother's deathbed. And then uh, Loretta's like, how was the plane ride? <laughs> and <laughs> all he wants to talk about is his mother's deathbed. And the mom's behind him, like, waving him off, clearly annoyed at this. She's not on her deathbed. So good. Uh, what a great character. Yeah. Danny Aiello. Always fun. Always fun to have him in a movie. I, I, you know, he's not a guy that he's a little bit of a that guy for me. I don't know him in too much, but again, the stuff that I've seen him in, I can never say like, oh yeah, he was bad. I was like, I always enjoy seeing a little Aiello. On the floor? Yeah, on the floor. This is a good suit. I know that. I helped you pick it out. It came with two pairs of pants. You know, Johnny, it's for luck. I mean, a man proposes marriage to a woman, he should kneel down. Yeah, he uh, he passed yeah. that, he passed away last year in December. Yeah, yeah, sadly, and he was uh, he was always good. Um, more often played characters with a you know more more bite to them than right, this one. like the sows of his characters, not this wild. one. Yeah. yeah, so this was a nice change of pace for him playing this sort of uh, you know milk toast kind of pushover <laughs> character and he does it really well you know he doesn't he doesn't overdo it mm-hmm. it's just enough yeah there's oh, a absolutely number of, yeah there's a number of performances in this movie that i think manage to kind of ride a line a little bit uh without like they they so so many of them could go over the top but I think a lot of oh, them, managed, sure. that one person notwithstanding who does, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people manage to get right to the edge and then just kind of hold there. It's a very slightly heightened reality. It's rom-com yeah. reality. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, in rom-com reality, you always fall in love at first sight. Though I don't think I've ever seen movie instant love quite as instant and inexplicable as the love between Ronnie and Loretta. So let's let's break this down. Inexplicable. I I had forgotten that it was the same day. This the whole movie <laughs> happens like, in two days. He he goes to yeah. Sicily and comes back while all of this is happening in two days. No, but like she meets Ronnie, and like two hours later, they're going to bed together. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But, but, but we're, we're skimming can... over what is the most discussionable qu- point of this movie. She meets Ronnie and <laughs> yes. she meets Ronnie in a, in a fiery inferno itch. of anger and lust of I've lost my hand. I want to cut my, you know, kill myself. I lost my lady. My brother ruined my life. Knife. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. lost my hand. I lost my bride. He has his hand. He has his bride. Ah. So sweaty, just so sweaty <laughs> around a lot okay, of food. Yeah. The Italian yeah. bakery upstairs when it came into the movie, I was the whole like quarantined version of me that just wants to eat everything I really can't have access to right now was like, <laughs> oh, yes, that looks lovely. And then you go downstairs and you see Nick Cage just dripping sweat into every single baguette as he angrily throws them into the fire. Yeah, there were a couple couple scenes in this movie when they were like, they would linger on like food or desserts and stuff at like restaurants. And my girlfriend and I were watching it. It's just like, 
Remember going out places to eat? Remember? Oh, the Italian <laughs> restaurants in this movie too, right? Yeah. Like, uh. and them doting on Rose because she's a frequent, you know, she's not not only a frequent customer, but but someone they know and love personally. Uh, we can get to yeah. that, but, but but back to Cage. Nicholas uh, Cage. He oh. greasy as all can be, pretty much throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and David, uh, well, first of all, Nicole ought to put in our docket, even in a mainstream romantic comedy, Cage got to be Cage, to which David responded, is he even <laughs> in the same movie? Uh, Cher seemed to think so, so much to the point that she yes. threatened to quit this movie over him. Yes. They, the, the, the studio saw his screen test and was like, no, we're not. <laughs> do you see what he's doing? Yeah. We're not going to have that in our movie. <laughs> and she was like, no, nah, it's exactly what we need. And it, I mean, it's amazing. But not in a way that, like, it's amazing in a very Nick Cage way. It's like you can see, you know, we think now, like, oh, Nick Cage was the serious, respected actor who now has gone insane. You watch this movie, and it's like, no, it was always there. It was. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's always had this potential. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the Cage wattage turned up, but held in check by a good director. You know, he keeps it from going. I think he keeps it from going too far. I think it's, you know, I've I've met people who are aggressively oversharing things. And yeah. it can get very passionate. And they don't care who else is in the room. Um, they're going to blow off that steam and say what they're going to say. And, you know, it doesn't seem that that much of an exaggeration to me you know it's just he's playing a very passionate character he's playing a guy in it you know a young guy who's up bitter about a lost love and bitter about losing his hand and i, I get it well in it yeah i can buy it <laughs> i'm with all that it is that Two hours later, Cher goes to bed with him and decides that she loves him that i that doesn't make sense to me <laughs> He's a passionate guy. <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing is that the whole premise of this movie across all three of, well, two of the affairs and one almost affair, I suppose, at least one party would have liked it that way. You have these three subplots happening at once and they're all the same concept of trying to reignite something inside of you for love that has been dead for so long, just dormant for so long. You know, her, her father is looking for to Nicole's point, a woman to indulge him in the way his wife just does not anymore. Uh, doesn't put up with his bullshit. Uh, Cher is looking for someone with a pulse. Uh, and <laughs> her mother is trying to wrestle with the reality that her husband's out doing this. And you have all these people that are looking to reignite that spark. And this character comes into her life that is, so bombastic, so intensely emotional and passionate and the polar opposite of every other man in her life. Well, I think it's, it's partly too that she's, you know, when she first starts talking to him, she's got nothing at stake personally. So she feels perfect. She feels comfortable just being completely honest with him. You know, they call each other stupid for, not have you know she calls him stupid for not having another woman in the past five years and he calls her stupid for only seeing johnny in the last seven and you know they're they just they put it right out there yeah like i see she sees straight through him she gets him she nails him to a t and i think he feels startled at being seen and spoken to so frankly and feeling like there's there's that about them in common that they've both been they've both had this hole inside that's been gnawing at them and you know Loretta's sort of just been muffling hers and he's been just letting it rage for five years and you know they just collide and it's i don't think it's instant love i think it's instant lust definitely okay but then within two days 
she's like, of course I love him and want to marry him. <laughs> like that's, that's, he, you he know, does that's proclaim that, his love within like two hours. You know, that, that's yeah, the argument. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's, that's the argument that instant oatmeal takes five minutes. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's, we're still calling it instant oatmeal. I would I would still call this instant love. Like, I think, I think he loves her in this moment. I think their marriage lasts a few months. Oh, maybe no. I don't know what do they what I, what do they have in common? Well, this that's is the thing I is, put, like, the, we we don't know. Passion. Because, uh, aside from the passion, are you listening to me? Yeah. Everything seems like nothing to me now. I guess I want you in my bed. I don't care if I burn in hell. I don't care if you burn in hell. The past and the future is a, a joke to me now. I see that they're nothing. We don't, we learn about her character a little bit, right? In the sense that, I, I mean, we, we understand, I was about to say we understand her past relationship and her career, but that's all we know about him either. Uh, it just, both of them, and maybe this is just the fault of it being an hour and a half long movie that's a rom-com. We don't know a lot about them aside from their shared, those, that one shared experience that they have of failed love, or I suppose love, you know, gone wrong. Uh, we don't really know what else they have in common. There, there are plenty of people who get married because there's the passion. It's really intense. The sex is amazing. Hi, Brett's mom. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, six months go by and it's like, you drive me insane. I hate you. I can't be around you. Like, that's what's going to happen with these two. And I understand it's a rom-com and blah, 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 blah. Uh, hmm. I will concede that that happens more often than not, but there are also couples who, you know, argue with each other and that blows off the steam and then everything is fine. And they're, you know, they, they go off and have makeup sex. Hi, Brett's mom. And everything's good again with their relationship and it's solid. You know, they have each other's back. They might bicker or, or even have blowout fights from time to time, but they're there for each other. It, I, I don't know. For me, there's that. There's the scene after they go to the opera where she is like, you know what? I know my nature, and my nature isn't always the best for me. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to keep a level head. And then he's like, "We're all animals. We're all gonna die one day. Let's go upstairs." <laughs> Very aggressively to work. Yeah, I was shocked that worked. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's some great there's some great insights from the women in this movie that have some just like really like those are great speeches and then Mick Cage is just like just do it have <laughs> sex with me more we're here to ruin ourselves and yes yes that's it he's going to be something love just love ruins everything it doesn't make things nice you know? there's there's nothing that he that about him that it's like you know what I'm gonna try and be less self destructive for you he's gonna keep being the same level of self destructive. You also have to imagine that this is the man that put a five-year uh, hold on his relationship with his brother because he believes that his brother made him look the wrong way while slicing meat, and that's oh what God. grinded up his hand. The, the and wooden he's also, hand, right? He's also simultane- simultaneously jealous of his brother because his, you know, his his fiance left him after he lost his hand. His brother's now, you know, getting married. His brother's had the good life with two hands that he's never been able to have now. Uh, but not a, not a totally great foundation for severing a relationship. I don't know. Well, <laughs> also, also, because I, I, kn- I know, I know we have notes about this. Uh, the age, like how old is Danny Aiello's character? How old is Nick Cage's character? There's a 31, 31 year difference in real life. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, the age disparities in this movie are all over the place. Yeah, there's there's a big gap. Yeah. They are. And especially, Cher is especially weird because she's playing a character who is younger than she actually is, but it, it acts older than the you know the character acts older than she's supposed to be and lets herself look older than she's supposed to be with the gray hair and the conservative clothes and um you know i think nick cage is supposed to be playing like maybe close to 30 you know late 20s and danny aiello i guess maybe is supposed to be in his he's 40s. 41 he was actually 
44. He's he's 41 in the movie so. because they, in the kitchen at the end, he says you're 41 years old and you're still letting her run your life when they're talking about the Oh, mom. that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When actually yeah, but- he was 54. You know, it's just like <laughs> yes. Well, and then Olympia so. Olympia Dukakis is twelve years older than Cher. It's yet yeah, they they're just it's all over the place. Some people like the age gap is bigger in real life than it's supposed to be, and then it's much smaller in real life than it's supposed to be. I can buy it's the always, the Cher yeah. to to Dukakis gap though because he has a her wig. Because of her wig, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think <laughs> that wig. I, I think Dukakis does does a very fine job of of playing the 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 sage mother that that gives Cher all the right advice oh, yeah, that yeah. Cher may or may yeah. not listen to. Um, I, I I buy that Absolutely. totally. But but Nicole, you put uh you know for once you're happy about the age gap between the two leads, uh, Cage and Cher. But the air, but the age disparities among the rest of the cast impair that suspension of disbelief. I'm I'm I want to know why you're happy about it in the movie because I think I know why. But I don't want to hear it. Yeah, because it's the late because the woman's older. Yep, there it is. That's <laughs> Which exactly like what I almost never happens. Yes. <laughs> Especially in romantic comedies. You know, it's there there are a few here and there, but usually that's the whole like point of the movie when that happens. What Harold you and know, like Stella getting her groove back is <laughs> you know, she hooks up with a much younger guy. And, and I mean, God, who wouldn't hook up with Tay Diggs? But hey, um, <laughs> you know, it's, that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's, I don't love it in general in movies because it's just not something that I've found happens a lot in real life. You really do tend to gravitate romantically toward people in your own age group. Mm-hmm. Um, like within five years, one way or the other, at least that's, that's been my experience and the experience of pretty much everyone I know Yeah, and people where there's a bigger gap, that's much more of an outlier, but you know, in Hollywood, it's very common that the male lead is 15, 20 years older than the female lead. And it's annoying, <laughs> but it's, it's nice to have the, the tables be turned and, not a huge deal to be made out of it. You know, nobody even mentions Ronnie's age at any point. So. And that seems yeah. to be uh, what they were always really casting for because the other person that did a screen test with Cher that was shut away for in, in lieu of cage was Peter Gallagher, which totally different movie uh, with him in this role uh, yeah. with those eyebrows, man. Um, that's all hairy, I can think though. about when I, <laughs> yeah, right. All I can think about when I think about that man is his eyebrows. I'm sorry. I know he's a prolific actor, but my goodness. Um, yeah. In Peter any Gallagher's case, some some impressive eyebrows. They are <laughs> they are impressive. But he was going to be in this, and even he's you know 11 years younger than than Cher is in real life, and Nick Cage was 17 or so. Yeah, 18 so. years. 18. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there. The movie almost I would say unintentionally because I, I don't think they wrote to this. Like they kind of touches on that a little bit with the with the John Mahoney character. Uh, yes. The, the John Mahoney character who is a, a professor who keeps sleeping with his students. I teach these classes I taught for a million years. Spontaneity went up for me a long time ago. You know, it started out I was excited about something, wanted to share it. Now it's rote. Multiplication table. Except sometimes. Sometimes I'll be droning along. And I look up and I'll see a fresh, beautiful young face. Uh, and but he has that. Yeah, it's not cool. It's not. It's not cool. But he has like a line that really sums up his whole character towards the end of his part in the movie, which is, uh, "I'm too old for me." That's the problem. It is like he is mentally still one of these uh, of the age of these women, uh, but physically he is now much older, and that uh, ends up causing him a lot of issues in the same restaurant again and again. Yeah, so this is the scene when, while there's the the zany double couple affair happening at the opera, which we'll get to, uh, instead Rose goes to the restaurant they occupy frequently and and sits down alone. And this professor, I think it was named Peter or, gosh, I'm going through IMDb now to find the character's name. 
I'll get back to that. Um, the professor. The professor. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he he is getting a, a drink thrown. Perry uh, getting a drink thrown in his face by by um, a woman that seems to have just maybe graduated from one of his classes, and they have a very interesting meal and discussion because he's trying then to jump on the Rose train, and Rose is not having it. She she is the the strongest character in the film for me in so many ways. And I love when they finally get to her house after he walks her home and she's like, no kiss on the cheek. That's it. Um, this is not my life and this is not what I do. And I, I just, I, I love her character and that kicks off her, her investigation of asking men around her why they go after younger women or like, no, no, not even younger women. Why do men chase women? Mm-hmm. Um, yes which becomes a thing for her where she's got to figure this out. And it's just, a, it's a great scene because it's two people who are just similar in age, totally different places in their lives and maturity. Yeah. Do you? Even though she tells him, <laughs> even do, though she tells I mean, him she's too old for him. I where they, you know, she, she doesn't invite him in, not because of, you know, privacy or that it's something she does offer she's like because i'm married because i know who i am yes so she doesn't she doesn't need that it wouldn't fulfill anything in her life to do that yeah that's what have a need to have that to have an affair she doesn't yeah it's not something that's missing for her that's that the like what we're talking about is part of the reason why I, I think I might have enjoyed this movie as much as I did because it is these two movies where you like there has these very grounded moments of like some real insight into relationships and some really like interesting stuff like that. And then anything Nick Cage is doing is this whole other movie. <laughs> and uh they whatever it overlaps, you know, like the like the scene at the end when they're all together uh uh, in in the kitchen like i it was a great scene was was funny like the the way that everything kind of builds together and at the end the the grandfather just holds his head he's like i'm so confused i love that scene <laughs> because he's this kind of ancillary character who like doesn't really know like isn't around you know for the moments we all are and then inserts himself right at the end and is like what am i walking into <laughs> Well, yes. he, he's he's I almost there like there was an engagement, and there's one brother here, and then there's yes, you know, there's money missing, and there's the I saw you know the I saw Rose last night with this younger man, and yeah, you know all this stuff going on, and he's he's only seen the periphery of it, and and, and he's been building up this whole time to talk about something that was at the beginning of the movie, which is like <laughs> my son should pay for the wedding. But everyone else is so far beyond that at this point. Right. <laughs> well, it's because he spends in large part of the movie walking like six dogs at night yelling at them, yelling at them in Five Italian. Five dogs, I counted. Five yes, dogs. Yes. Um, so good. <laughs> like just such a yes. wonderful character in the periphery of this movie. Uh, before we he get is, to that. Although I love that, that one line that, you know, Rose has as he's trying to give more food to the dogs she's like oh man you give those dogs another bite of my food and i'm gonna kick you till you're dead (laughs) (laughs) yes and it's you know it's i'm not doing it as well as she does you know it's out of context it sounds like oh my god what a horrible thing to say to somebody but just no the delivery and where it is and yeah that 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 woman has been dealing with this man she was gonna shoot me full of holes when i it's something that annoyed her. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, you, that's, you, it's not something you're actually going to do. You know, this man has been feeding her food yes. to his dogs for years. Decades. And she, yeah. And, and she's <laughs> just, she's done with it. It's like, don't, yes. don't even think about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I do love his character and dialing back to that, that wonderful opera scene. <laughs> um, it's the closest it gets at least in my opinion, to because like, again, I, I mentioned at the top of the program that I think the comedy in this movie is comedy of circumstance. It's not as if people are saying things here. Like It's not like there's jokes that often, as we seem no. to always have to have in rom-coms now. This isn't that. It's just 
really funny, quirky situations with quirky people that you can kind of relate to in this heightened sense of reality. And above all, maybe perhaps the final scene of the movie is the opera in which uh, Ronnie and Loretta both go to the opera and so do her father and his mistress. And you see so many shots of both of particularly of the father kind of darting his eyes around, not really paying attention to his date. He wants to make sure that no one he knows sees him here. Uh, he gets caught, but I guess she gets caught too. So, uh, well, it's, uh, that scene, it's like, you're uh, like, she is engaged. Yes. But she could just very easily be like, Oh, I'm here with Johnny's younger brother who, you know, who like we're trying to make amends with. So he and I are just like out getting to know one another where it's like the dad was clearly caught on a date with his mistress. It's like she right. did, she acts like she's equally as culpable in all of us. And it's like, no, no. I mean, yes, you are, but no. <laughs> Though in regard but to yes, that, she's I, already slept with him, but no. no. <laughs> but I, but he doesn't know that, but I do love that just with the nature of this close knit, you know, Sicilian community, uh, as soon as she goes to confession, the 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 priest behind the behind the box or whatever it is, I'm not I'm not Catholic, uh, says like Loretta, what was that second one you confessed to again? When she leads through, a, it's it's like the first one is like I used God's name in vain. Second one is I cheated on my fiance. Third one is a parking ticket or I something else. Check, but it was an accident. Yeah, yes. equally mundane. Uh, and and of course, of course, whoever's on the opposite side of this confession booth knows immediately who she is and what has happened. Uh, and when you never that, know who that person is, but I just love that the community's close enough that they automatically know it's her. Well, I, I would imagine they would if, like, if it sounds like her family is probably a pretty active family at at the church. Um, mm-hmm. But according to uh, according to my girlfriend, two rosaries is a pretty big penance in the Catholic Church. Oh yeah. That's going to take a long time. That's yeah, it, that's like least, 150 prayers. It's something? like 15 to 20 minutes worth of worth of time. Yeah. Is that all hammered out in one session or can you No, can you're you supposed to do apart? it all at once. Oh. Yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to set aside the time. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to go kneel down in the church and and do all your prayers and say your penance and then you can then you get off scot free, then you're clean. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, well, I, so, but I, I do, I do love that scene. Again. <laughs> but I, I do, I do really like the opera, and I think the opera centers around, you know, David. You put it in our docket. What's the point of the giant moon? Uh, you know, we got a movie called Moonstruck, and there's a giant moon that that people are fascinated with in this, and they act like they've never seen a full moon before. But it's really big and vibrant in this movie. Well, yeah, and and uh, and what's his name? The uh, Raymond tells this whole story about the moon. And then, like the moon shows up, uh, and I don't. Uh, that, okay, that's kind of it. Though I do, I did love the scene when the moon shows up for Raymond and his wife. Uh, yeah, I, I really like, adorable. Yeah, <laughs> those two characters. I really enjoyed them. They're so cute. Yeah, uh, they are. Uh, cute. I so I think the reason the moon is such a focal point here is is that you have this this opera called uh, La Boheme. Which is Labohem. Pla- you guys gotta help <laughs> me through on, all these. But it's played. It's, it's played it's throughout the movie. You do not pronounce the H. <laughs> okay, uh, you, it's played throughout the movie. It's also the one they go to. And there's the pivotal scene in this opera is when the two lead characters are in this this ray of moonlight when the guy realizes he loves the girl and that they've fallen in love. And that's part of the scene that we see in the movie. Um, so it seems to me like sure. they, they were leaning really heavily into this opera's thematics of them, like falling in love instantly and very passionately. That's why the music's played throughout. In fact, they did screen tests with the opera being played in that intro sequence, which audiences hated because they apparently thought they were being tricked into going to an art house film, which is why <laughs> they then changed it to, uh, you know, that's Amore, which of course, Dean Martin, um, better so, choice. I want to say better, choice. better, better choice. And also uh, synonymous wait, with this movie one, now. What you disagree? I, yeah, but, no, I, I mean, it's a s- slightly better choice, but it also, it makes you brace for something really cheesy because yeah. it's an incredibly cheesy song. You mean yeah, when no, your moon hits your eye like a big up piece of pie? <laughs> yeah. Is not cheesy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I would hope the pizza's but, cheesy. 
But I mean, if you the Da-da-da. opening credits, we're following the the Met prop truck on its way to the opera house with the props for La Boheme, and you know, it's it's almost like there's a curtain coming up on this movie. You know, this movie is an opera. It's people meet and they fall immediately in love, and there's passion, and there's betrayal, and there's romances, and there's you know. So, yeah, and there's beautiful set decoration, like a giant full moon. <laughs> the houses in this movie are ridiculous. For New York, they're insane. <laughs> well, if you bought it back in like the 30s or the 40s, that, you know, yes. But even like even Cage's what apartment, the wallpaper looks like. <laughs> yes. But even Cage's apartment above his bakery is like impressively large. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the more standard New York apartments. They're, they're yeah. much, 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 much tiny. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, and, and I, and I know they like the, they even, they even kind of call it out again with John Mahoney being like, this is a mansion. What are you talking? This is a house. This is a mansion. Like, yeah. In New York it is. Yeah. yeah. It's not Manhattan though. I think it's supposed to be Brooklyn. I thought at first it was little Italy, but I guess it's Brooklyn. I thought it was little so. Italy too. It seemed like little Italy <laughs> considering everywhere they go. Everyone is Italian and like speaks Italian. Italian. Yeah. Well, right. There are Italian neighborhoods in Brooklyn, you know. Yeah. Um, but well, but it, it's. But I, uh, to get back to the moon for a second, though, I think it's <sighs> it's number one. You know, full moon. It's romantic. You know, you go stand under the full moon and declare your love sure. to each other, and it's beautiful and it's romantic. And the moon is, it's, tidal. You know, it's the tides. It's got this pull that can't be denied it has an effect on our planet and some people believe on people and uh, it's to i think it symbolizes the drawing together whether you really want it to happen or not sometimes it just does and even going back to this being kind of an opera of a film which you mentioned um this is really going to be you know undergrad english 101 but there are some critics that are like oh they're all different pieces of the opera right loretta is the soprano ronnie is the tenor uh you know the tenor obviously is the more um intense verbose uh high-pitched uh man johnny is the more somber baritone and then uh uh rose contralto and uh in cosmo the bass so there's there's parallels that some draw there that are perhaps strenuous but Mm-hmm. <laughs> some draw them uh yeah I, I i think the moon dynamic throughout the entire film is is very charming and i think that's what's great about a lot of this movie is that i think you know it, this goes into a discussion topic i have which is this is often described as an unconventional romantic comedy and i wanted to talk to you guys about what you think the elements are of this film that diverge it from a classic rom-com formula that we may know from 99 percent of other rom-coms for me it's just there's there's so much of that charm that it can lean heavily on the charm and the uniqueness of the characters rather than on a series of jokes. Yeah, I think it's unconventional in that it's smart <laughs> for one thing, but <laughs> sure. it really has some insightful things to say about human nature and the nature of relationships and what different people can be like and how they run away from romantic things and, and how they deal with aging. There's a lot in here about aging and death and people trying to cope with that, you know, between the professor and Cosmo uh, grappling with getting older and neither of them handling it well. And both of them chasing younger women, Um, you know, and it's, it really puts the finger on things. I mean, yeah, the like the wolf metaphor is cheesy and big and odd, but she, you know, Loretta points out there's there's a big part of you has no words. You know, he's got this kind of nature where he doesn't understand everything about himself. He just acts on instinct. And that that, you know, she calls that part of him a wolf, but I mean, you know, I've I've met people like that you know, who are more, who don't think that hard about 
what they are and why they make the decisions they do and what path do they want to take in life. You know, they're just kind of, they're just living. They're just going from day to day and they're living and they don't think about it all that much. Yeah. So, and I think that movie yeah. points this points it out well. Absolutely. And I, I do feel like that is an apt description of this movie in regard to it being a little bit more unconventional than your tip, typical rom-com. And I think I was kind of dancing around the idea that it is very smartly written. Um, and also, good move not to call it The Bride and the Wolf, which was the original title of this film, which then the director oh, raised the concern of saying, doesn't that kind of sound like a horror film? Uh, so, yes. kept with Moonstruck, much better title. Uh, David, you also put something in our docket about all the superstitions around weddings and marriage. You know, she firmly believes that her marriage immediately got off to a very bad foot because they didn't handle it traditionally and properly. Yeah, yeah. There's the whole thing of like, well, you know, maybe my husband wouldn't have gotten hit by a bus if we had been married in a church. And there's just like all this idea, like, we're going to do it right this time. And like, that's going to make sure that everything's going to be okay. And then, of course, like all of that is like, well, not out the window by the end. But it's hard to say that anything they do is, you know, by the book traditional through the the course of the movie. Uh, but I just I, I found it just very interesting I don't know, just the the superstitions around, and I know there's there are people that are like this in real life too. That it's like, well, you have to do it the right way, or else it's going to be bad. And I, just, yeah, I was amused by that showing up in the movie. Even down to some of the first of all, the whole marriage thing. I'll plan this in a month. She's a, a goddess of planning, apparently, <laughs> I mean, not just the goddess it, of pop. Uh, it, it, it probably wasn't going to be a big wedding. It was probably going to be something small, and you know. Uh, like Sherry, you can't even get saved the dates in that time. I know I've done it twice now. Uh, no, it, it, that's well. That's why like it's going to be family and and you know a couple of close friends and a oh, little. Sure. Small Everyone chapel. lives within three blocks of wherever right. they're having this this wedding. Sure, right? They're going to um, have it in somebody's yard. The reception, you know, right? Exactly. Uh, but I I I do love that even the the idea the central early conflict of the movie that quickly gets overshadowed that the grandpa later brings up at the end the whole you know her father needs to pay for this wedding even that is like that doesn't happen anymore we don't no one thinks in terms of that of that uh uh lots classic. of people still do really oh yeah it's Man. like like the, the the DIY the smaller stuff still is becoming much more popular and much more ubiquitous mm-hmm. because that's you know the the state of a lot of people's lives who are young, sure. Um, but there are still plenty of people who are like, nope, it needs to be in a in a church. It needs to be a big party. Oh no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, um, by just just in terms of like the father of the bride needs to pay for everything. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. Like there are people who still like that. That was my last point. Like it needs to be paid by and like it's much yeah. less a thing now but it's yeah, still you'll still see it on say yes to the dress and bridezillas and yeah right. i guess you're right those <laughs> yeah the, the people the people who have the ridiculous money to throw around right on big weddings. Uh, yeah I, I guess you're totally right uh but yeah i think you're right that it's becoming it's definitely becoming more widespread that the couple basically just you know saves up and pays for it themselves or you know maybe both families pitch in a little bit right mm-hmm Yep, absolutely. Uh, this was nominated for Best Picture? Question mark from David. I so so wait. Let's let's break it down here. Nineteen eighty eight Best Picture nominees. Doing some googling right on the air. Okay, oh, yes, so this lost to... to the Last Emperor, and was yes. up against Fatal Attraction, Hope and Glory, and Broadcast News because this was an era where we didn't nominate ten movies for Best Picture. So right. No, I can see it being, I can see that being second in that field. As I recall, The Last Emperor is is a big, beautiful, sprawling art movie. And it's lovely and it's well, very well made and it's very well acted. So, I mean, that's, that's fine. (laughs) I have no problem with that winning over Moonstruck. But this is a very, this is a very good romantic comedy. Yeah, but I look at this, I look at this, the list of nominees and Untouchables wasn't, nominated and i just you know i gotta deal with feelings on that no it was it was brian de palma and it he was seen as like too pulpy for his no. movies to be taken 100 percent seriously here here actually i just want to read the top 10 highest grossing films in the u.s this year i, th- I think this is a very interesting list 
Uh, number one, Three Men and a Baby. Number two, Fatal Attraction. Number three, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Number four, Good Morning Vietnam. Number five, Moonstruck. Hey, look, there you go. Number six, The Untouchables. Number seven, The Secret of My Success. Number eight, Stakeout. Number nine, Lethal Weapon. And then number 10, The, Weech- the Witches of Eastwick. Which was another that share is so vehicle. sad that Lethal Weapon made less money than Stakeout. Oh, my God. So, uh, not, not a whole lot less, like $400 million less. Or 400000 less, not $400 million. Oh, okay. It's, it's kind of Still. funny, though, because this is also a year in which there's a lot of films that we now look very kindly upon as a, as a culture. You know, stuff like Princess Bride, Dirty Dancing, Full Metal Jacket, Predator. Like, yeah. That, now, 87 was a good year. There are a lot of great movies that came out that year. Uh, Wall Street won that year. I mean, he, uh, Douglas won that year for Wall Street. So, yeah. I but, get but, it, though. Uh, evil, I do get why it's too. great. Evil Dead 2. Raising Arizona. Anyway, I got to right. stop looking at this list. I'm just going to name movies from 1987. <laughs> no, no, but I, I do understand why it was nominated, especially when you look at like yeah. the stuff it's nominated alongside. And it, you also seem to notice that, like, the Academy at that point in time seemed to be nominating more like not the Academy seemed to be looking a little bit less toward the really bombastic, intense cinematic pieces that we now think of for best picture of the 1917s of the world. Um, you don't see yeah. a lot of those as like not at those types of movies as nominees, aside from the one that won obviously that year, but that didn't seem to be the mainstay of the nominees. Whereas nowadays, if you have 10 nominees, seven of the seven of those are big over the top cinematic you know historical like 1917s or avengers or whatever yeah Um, it's a whole different ball game i'm not sure how calculated the academy awards were in 1987 versus now where it's like it's going to come out december 30th uh and play in like five theaters and that's going to get nominated for best picture oh this movie came out in mid-december well, so. well, yes, yeah, so did Wall Street. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I guess it was calculated back then, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Moonstruck, we watched it. It was a uh, Netflix roulette that you can find on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm happy I saw it. I, I feel like this was a hole in my viewing that I had long disliked as a result of childhood exposure to Nick Cage yelling, and now I can appreciate it more. <laughs> so... I'm here for it. Uh, any final thoughts on Moonstruck? Um, you know what? I, uh, I think there's going to be people out there who uh, maybe skip this one just because, like, Moonstruck never heard of it. But if you're if you're giving this a chance and you haven't seen the movie, I I would even echo like, go watch it. I enjoyed it much more than I expected to. What about you, Nicole? Um. Uh- Agreed. <laughs> this is good. This is the first time I haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years. Um, I did see it when it came out and I enjoyed it when it came out and it's, it's full of good performances. It's full of good insight. It is still, you know, it's a, it's a traditional Hollywood movie. It still very much takes place in movie world, mm-hmm. but yes, I think it, especially movie New York, um, but it is, it's really well done. You know, it's a very well crafted film. It's got some good things to say. It's got some really good laughs in it. Um, you know, especially the way people are delivering their lines. There's, I remember a big laugh in my movie theaters just by Aunt Rita coming back in at the end going, it's Johnny Camerary. <laughs> I didn't want you to finally. Also, like, we didn't really even um, talk about that final scene where Nick Cage invites himself into the most awkward family dinner or breakfast of all time. <laughs> Woof. I like that, it. It's, yeah, he, he's got... That's ballsy to <laughs> just walk straight up <laughs> into that household and say, I'm here to meet the family. Yeah. Well, you know, he knows what he wants out of life. That's right. Uh, I, I also really enjoyed it. This is one of the first Netflix roulettes. I, I feel confident enough to say it's worth watching. Uh, I mean, we've gotten some good movies on Netflix roulette in the past. Like there have been the Goodfellas and I, a couple other I, ones, but it, it, it we get a lot of garbage from this category and that's kind of some of the fun of it. And I'm glad that it, spit some of that out but i'll say this is good this 
This is this is the best Nick Cage movie we've had to watch as part of Netflix Roulette. It's probably also like the third movie Nick Cage movie we've had. To, was was Wicker Man? No, that was you did this. No, to we're us. at least four in because we also had Pay the Ghost, which was a Netflix Roulette. Yes. We also uh, had Lord of War, which was a Netflix Roulette. Yes, oh, so we're right. we're at least four cages in. <laughs> we're at least four cages in. <laughs> oh. So yep. it's four, four cages, 112 episodes. So what's our average? Is like every 28. <laughs> well, but yeah, we've we've seen we've seen Cage other places as well, but he he mostly shows up surprisingly in Netflix roulettes. <laughs> but you just got to lean into it at this point, right? If you're a film podcast, he's gonna show up, especially if we're allowing people to pick for us. The dude's gonna yeah. be Joe Exotic at some point. You don't think they're gonna make us watch that? Oh, oh boy, <laughs> please no. Yeah, I probably just jinxed that. All righty. Well, let's go around the table, see where we can find everybody online. Nicole Davis, what about you? I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. Very good. And David? Uh, find me on Twitter under the name Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. Find out what I'm doing there. Right on. Find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. And you can email the show, hi, hi, at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. A reminder, uh, we are doing future classics next week. And Nicole, what is that? Under the skin? Under the skin. Under the skin. I got it right. We're going to be watching that next week. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.